I hated this movie because I haven't had a cigarette in about a year, three months. <laughs> and I was there craving for like an hour and 38 minutes. Hi, my name is Ricardo Deacon. Hi, my name is Orla McNeilis. And welcome to the Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie the other person hasn't seen. We watch it separately and Skype each other to discuss it. This mm. week's film was chosen by Orla. Sure was. And it is Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets from 2020. Hello. You're just in time for the knot party. We're not having fun in celebration of not closing. Is this a real thing? Is this really happening? Twenties. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking how I'm doing. First person today. Anybody want a drink, a shot, tell a story? You're making me realize I haven't smelled that smell in a long time. What kind of a party is it if an Australian guy doesn't take his pants off? I've been saying that for years. The best thing is to just get your heart totally smashed and broken like a couple times, and then you're good, and then you don't care anymore. What are you doing? Chilling out in the alley, eating beef jerky. I don't trust you. <laughs> And I always come to his ball and feel like family. And feel like but why some say the bar? <laughs> this is the end. Why this ball? I represent all evil. <laughs> why do we identify this as our joint? Then ask about the brown bag. I love you. Comfort. I don't know. <laughs> Comfort. Comfort. What else? I'm gonna tell you what else it is. <laughs> it's a place where you can go work when nobody else don't want your ass. Look first, that's in there. I got work in there. <laughs> to the bar! To the bar! We're the Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets is an American documentary film that premiered at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival, which is technically very accurate. Is that it? <laughs> oh my goodness. I found another synopsis there from IMDb. A look at the final moments of a Las Vegas dive bar called the Roaring Twenties. I mean, that's all. It was produced by a shitload of people. <laughs> uh, music by Casey Wayne McAllister. Cinematography by Bill Ross IV and Turner Ross. Film editing by Bill Ross IV. <laughs> um, visual effects by... <laughs> what visual effects? A joint. <laughs> and it was directed by Peter Ewell, Shay Walker, and Michael Martin. Not the Taoiseach of Ireland. <laughs> yes, Michael, not Michal. <coughs> so, Orla, why did you pick this movie that appears to be... like? If you gave me these search results and told me this movie was made up, I'd probably believe you. This but is actually the real life It was a, an actual <laughs> movie that we both seen. So, the real life Argo. Argo is the real life Argo Orla. Uh, so <laughs> um, yeah, gosh, I watched this a while ago, like not that long ago. Like, I didn't watch this in 2020, definitely not. I watched it last year, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It kind of sat there on like my queue of movies to pick. Um, you know, you kind of have one sort of sitting there simmering in the background and you think you'll pick them eventually, but you're not really sure when is the right time. So, yeah, I don't know. I kind of had this one simmering in my mind for a while. And then, I don't know, the, the last day I was like, fuck it, let's do it. Um, yeah, like there's obviously a lot of comparisons between uh, of things we've done before that we can talk about a lot. Like, you know, Fat City. Um, what's the Albert Chino one? Scared Crow. Uh, also kind of Tokyo Godfathers in a way that like, sort of hangout movies um about a sort of certain level of like you know class um and like lower edges of society or whatever but um I also I was laughing I watched this last night I was laughing um I was having a glass of wine and I was like ah you finally find something that tops wake and fright for uh, alcohol consumed 
Because I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's anything else that can come close to either of those movies. And I was trying to think back to when I watched Wake and Fright, and I definitely wasn't drinking. It was like a weeknight or something, and I felt just incredibly ill and sweaty. Um, it also actually kind of reminded me of um, uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, which is like, I really, really like that film. I rewatched it again recently. Um but like that, that as well. But especially this is it's that the, the kind of, Melissa McCarthy movie. Yeah, with Richard with E. Richard Grant. E. Grant. Okay. I love that film. Uh, a really like tragic, but also lovely, warm film in a lot of ways as well. Um, uh, yeah, highly recommend that. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> that especially this. <laughs> they're just they're the kind of movies where you you expect. Tom waits to just appear or to be in the background, just kind of like softly playing a piano or something. And especially considering that Tom Waits has actually shown up in a lot of movies recently and been great. Like he's in, he's in, what was he in recently? He's in The Old Man and the Gun, uh, where he's just really funny. It's like you kind of think he's sort of like Werner Herzog, where he's kind of almost playing a version of himself, but it doesn't really matter because he's really funny and has loads of screen presence or whatever. Um, yeah, he steals the the Coen Brothers Western movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes, yeah, that's the other one. He was in something else as well, where he's just like a side character or something. But he's just you know, great. I mean, it's Tom Waits. Um, he just is that guy. He's been that guy since birth. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I really really enjoyed this film. Um, uh, I also really wanted to talk about it because even recently, but pretty much every documentary we've ever done, <clears throat> we've talked about the ethics of documentary making, um, naturally, because, you know, uh, it is very important and relevant, you know, sometimes more than others. Um, but yeah, shout out to Richard Fitzsimmons, uh, <laughs> our original, the original uh, documentary uh, lecturer that we had. Um yeah, but this this really is a fascinating approach to documentary, uh, documentary inverted commas. I don't know, but it also kind of reminded me of something we've done, like um, uh, like the Arbor, or also something like uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, where something is much more like naturalistic. Or this is not a film as well, you know, like where people who are kind of like working within a very strict parameter, but like it leaves yourself sort of like open to exploring all these like small like, interesting things um so yeah like i i knew going into this that sort of the conceit or whatever behind it um and like you know i, I knew that they were sort of loosely directed and um so yeah I was, I was very very curious um if you went you if you went into this fully cold um like how you felt when you were watching it when you sort of realized that it wasn't like true true documentary whatever um yeah because it, it is a film in a way where like the filmmakers have sort of like the process of making it is a theme in the film as well which i find really interesting um because the film is technically constructed in the way that you know they're they're kind of giving these people things to say sort of themes to talk about but then just letting it go um because it is sort of constructed it's interesting what they're trying to say about like bars america alcoholism like community displacement all these things considering that they've already they've gone into it with themes that they know they want to touch on as opposed to kind of like like finding the theme as they went along if you know what I mean but at the same time like there's still a bit of that because so much of it is improvised and you never know what the people are going to say because it's not scripted um but yeah like what I find really interesting about this is that despite like the sort of apparent simplicity of the premise of the thing where you're just putting these people in a room and you know like letting them go and giving them alcohol and whatever and like I think in a way if you focus too much on that it sort of belies like the craft that's required to make something like this considering it like so they filmed it over two separate days um of like just like big long shoots and they just just f filmed constantly basically with two cameras um but I think having the ability to uh, pick out, find the moments as they're happening, because obviously at the, at the time, like loads of things are going on at once, usually. Um, and you, as the evening goes on, you see that more and more that there's like people in the background and stuff. And, you know, like it's not, it's never a very full space, but at times there are like obviously different conversations going on at the same time. Um, but kind of like being able to capture those moments and know, you know, how long to 
to linger on them and how to represent them, how close to get with, you know, just like the the kind of like um, instinct required to do that, to be able to like hold the thing together and then obviously to decide what to include whenever you're editing it. Because um, I think they spent like, I think it was three years or something editing it, which I'm not surprised considering that they would have had like just lit- literal hours and hours and hours and hours of footage. I think they had like a four and a half hour cut that they then spent all, you know, like probably most of the three years trying to get down to an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes or whatever it is now. Uh, and I'm not surprised because I can't even imagine, you know, what they decided to leave out, especially considering that the film does have like a, a narrative to it because I saw a lot of people complaining about like nothing happens or their conversations are boring or, you know, like why would you want to listen to these people? And it's like as if, as if like you you know giving people loads of alcohol and you know like expecting something like profound or or, you know I I don't know what people were expecting from it you know to be because it's a film about small moments and small details and you know the things that make up people's how they talk about things how they talk about themselves how they view themselves how they have the same conversations over and over again like you know Every night they go to the bar, every day they go to the bar, they're kind of talking about the same things. They're talking about the same stories, but they're just changing them slightly. And, you know, like there's, there's some really, really incredible um, quotes in this movie. Like we had to talk about um, uh, Michael, definitely, because he's, he's like kind of the main character, I suppose. Um, you know, as in he's sort of like, you know, bookending the movie. Um, and like... Oh, God, he he's an actual actor. I think he's the only like actual professional actor as in like he does a lot of like um like really small roles and stuff. And he was kind of part of the theater scene in New Orleans and stuff. But um, the the like the, just the depth that that guy gives to this sort of version of himself that he's playing. But it's never like it never seems as if he's. The, you know, it never comes across he's acting and everyone else is like, because everyone else is like so naturally uh, moving, you know, in between all the different conversations they're having. And, you know, it's it's everyone, all the interactions feel so lived in considering that these people didn't know each other. Like it's, but in the same way, it almost didn't matter that they didn't know each other because they've known some version of these people in their lives, because this is kind of the life that they live, you know, being barflies or whatever, you know, that, you know, like that they know someone who's like Pam. So they're kind of probably interacting with her in the way that they do with that person in their life. Or when they're crying, it's because they're thinking about someone who actually fills that role in their life or that maybe that they don't have that person anymore or, you know what I mean? So it's like this strange version of like playing yourself, but also not playing yourself and maybe playing like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I find this film so fucking fascinating and so heart-wrenching and so like, fascinating um and yeah I just I made I want to talk about it forever because I just I think there's like no end to the the interesting elements of this um and yeah like I, I just uh, I was thinking um as well like you know can you watch this if you're someone who doesn't drink or someone maybe who doesn't really go to bars that much or whatever and uh I did like I didn't do any research into that I didn't ask anybody you know people who are not really you know, have never drank or have never really, you know, had that experience uh, or people who are sober or whatever. Um, but I do feel like everyone kind of understand, has that, like knows that bittersweet feeling of, you know, 2 a.m. when you kind of know you need to go home when the fun is kind of ending. You know what I mean? Or that like that moment in the night when, you know, it's it's late now. I need to go to bed now. You know what I mean? Like it's no more fun is going to be had, you know, past that point. But at the same time, you're like, but I don't want to go yet. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go to sleep. I might miss something. You know, you don't want, even though you can feel that the fun is ending and that like reality in the morning is coming really fast. And like, you've just tipped over into that. And it's like this real like existential dread feeling or something. I don't know if like, you know, and even though, you know, like there's that saying that nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. And it's especially true when it comes to being out. <laughs> like just go home absolutely um 
<laughs> yeah, so I I, uh, I said a little bit about this earlier. Of um, I'm really fascinating how it would have felt to have watched this at the end of like 2020, you know, before we had vaccines, before like when we'd gone back into lockdown and we didn't really know what was happening and what it would have felt like because this is such a like claustrophobic film in a lot of ways and it really gives the sense of being in that environment of people who just have no concept of like masks and you know that's yeah I had social distancing and all that bollocks it's completely because this was would have been made I think in like 2018 2017 maybe just thinking of like when they would have edited it and stuff so like it's not even an idea on the horizon it's just completely separate I can't imagine what that would have been like in like December 2020 to watch this movie um so yeah, uh, I really, really, I really love this movie, and uh, I thought even if you, you know, didn't like it, that we would have had a lot to talk about. So, um, Ricardo, what did you think of Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets? First of all, like it's an interesting thing that you said that there, they took them three years to edit. That's kind of, I don't know if it was intentional or not to do it that way, but it is kind of bold. Uh, you never know what you, when you're releasing the movie. You know, like it could mm. happen, like it did. That comes in in a moment where the the resonance of the movie actually kind of echoes what's happening in society but at the same time it like a movie like this could land in a moment that is completely bad you know like let's say if, because this is a the idea of the movie this is not as precise uh analogy but you know, it could have been that like 2020 would be the most successful economical year in America and they're like poverty has been erased or whatever. And then this movie doesn't like obviously that wouldn't happen. But you know what I mean? Or there's another war that America is actually directly involved in in 2020 or you don't know, maybe Vegas uh the whole of Vegas has shut down. So you can't release a movie in 2020. It's not acknowledging that mm. Vegas doesn't exist anymore. You know, gambling has been prohibited in bars. <laughs> and then suddenly you have all the gambling machines inside these bars. You know, it's very strange to, very brave to, to, to wait that long for a movie to come out. But I suppose it's the case with anything. It's like whenever people talk about like, oh, this movie is so of its time and it's so timely and it's been released it, like how did you know it's like just pure luck when a movie yeah. comes out and it's speaking about what it needs to be said because like movies take like at the best of times three or four years to release from the moment of conception to when it you sit on your seat to uh, to watch it getting projected so that is kind of strange though like for a movie that is like such low budget that they probably they were like working other jobs and stuff as well i don't think that they were probably doing this full-time nine to five every no, day no i i would say so um yeah like <laughs> if you google them they're the most hipster looking dudes and like even when you listen to interviews with them and you're like i feel like i don't want to meet you in real life even though i really like the song <laughs> uh it's funny i was just thinking there as well i thought this last night as i was watching it just we were talking about the pandemic there um and of because this film is so much about like displacement and you know that like what happened to these people during lockdown you know, considering that these people actually live in like, you know, New Orleans or New Orleans, New Orleans, um, you know, which had a some kind of a lockdown more than Vegas did anyway. So like, you know, what happened to these people in a way that like, where did they go during those times? You know, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that it, it is uh, before I say anything, like I did really enjoy this movie. Okay. So. <laughs> So we know where I stand whenever I'm commenting or anything like it. And I I did come in cold in this movie to watch this movie. And I think that it's both a good way and a bad way to come into this movie. Like, I think that like at some point they realized that it was way too structured and too narratively coherent for a movie that is supposed to be set in one night kind of thing. Like, there's no way. Like it's unrealistic in a way that you'd come in with so many threads and so many 
so many moments that you capture on screen and that people are revealing themselves that way on the one night you know like uh, it is very realistic to a certain degree like a I would would have believed each one of those moments individually, but as a whole, it becomes a little bit. So everybody gets like an introduction, a closure, and yeah. everything else without having to have a any talking heads and stuff. But also the fact that the the crew is completely ignored that wouldn't happen in the like, especially whenever you're getting that pissed, you'd yeah. be like, spe- like the moment that kind of br- like that i realized that it was staged but at the same time i was like if it if it isn't because it wasn't a hundred percent yet it would be incredibly unethical is whenever the, the character kids. michael breaks down oh michael yeah and the camera is just holding up because there's a like a i'm gonna be very blunt in the way that i des- described the characters and maybe like uh cutting down to their to their exterior appearance purely because i can't go down to what is the name of the characters because th- that information is not available in the internet so and i can't remember those names because usually i don't have to because you just look at the imdb page and you go oh yeah this person is the name of the character it, like the whenever the black guy starts crying after talking oh. about like vietnam and stuff like mm-hmm. that that like because of the camera being where it was whenever he starts crying, mm. it feels way less ev- invasive as when Michael starts crying because the camera comes from miles away to to focus on him, and I think that that is one of the few missteps of the movie because I think that it takes you away from it because if you know about the construction of the documentary also makes you almost makes you forget that the documentary is constructed until Mm. that happens because even like the character of michael wouldn't allow himself to be captured in that moment in the way that he is you know especially without somebody else to make him forget that he's being showing himself as being vulnerable if he was there with the the um, with the drag queen and or with or is it um, I, I don't know if she she has shows so it's a drag queen but i don't know if she's also trans or not i saw someone describe her as trans so okay but i can't it was in a review but i haven't seen that confirmed anywhere so i'm not sure to be honest because you know she lip syncs and it yeah. says that she has shows for it so we know that she's a, a a drag queen as a performer, but I don't know if she's has transitioned or not. But like the moments with her are very raw. Let's say Michael, like seeing somebody that he hasn't seen in years, etc. Mm-hmm. You can tell that like, and I think structurally throughout the movie, it's very clever to whenever there's a bit of a lull that the three actors there because Michael the michael the waitress the the bartender and the guy that fancies the bartender i think are professional actors yeah or at least like i think so or at least they were a little bit sorry shay is the bartender and i think yeah she's definitely been like she has an actual like imdb picture and she's been in loads of like uh like louisiana set movies um, whereas I think like Michael's been in a lot of stuff, but I think um, I think the other guy, he has a page, but he doesn't seem to have any credits, so I don't think he's actually a. Yeah, he only has that movie as the as the credit, but I think that he probably was perhaps not a, a professional actor, but somebody that they Picked had a little he... bit of control over because it's mm-hmm. kind of you know. Especially if you're applying uh, them with drinks and you're like saying for somebody to be like forward with this other person and pretend that uh, you know them for years and that uh, you want to have sex with them would be very uncomfortable. The only thing that I think about this movie in particular when we come to ethics again, which it like I don't have a, an argument from one side or the other to say that it's a bad thing or not is more that it's worth noting Mm. that uh, I think that putting these many quote-unquote broken people 
I'm feeding them drink. I'm getting them to uh, talk about their issues and open up and be raw and documented. I don't know how good it is for their mental health or not. It could be that it's like the best form of therapy because they got it out of their system. But then also, how did they feel the day after, the day after that, and the weeks after that, and then whenever like this was screened? I don't know. There's always, like, as we always say about documentary, a very imbalanced power dynamic. That in this case, also because it's like playing a fictional version of yourself, but it's actually you behaving like you, but just like with prompts in a way. And because the alcohol break down the the decision, the break down you from not saying certain things in a way because. You're drunk and we all know that we say fucking stupid shit when we're drunk. But I have to say as well that this movie, I hated this movie because I haven't had a cigarette in about a year, three months. <laughs> and I was there craving for like an hour and 38 minutes. Just like the smoking is so weird. It's so weird. Like, I oh, it's just because because we're so used to that not having that smoking indoors thing and also even like here in toronto you can't even smoke on like terraces or patios or anything you literally can only smoke on the street that's the only place so there aren't even like smoking areas here so it's it to me it was like it was so weird to see so many people smoking yeah this movie like i i did like the the other black character and the guy that like the young guys yeah. that has the suit and stuff yeah uh, felt, he reminded like, me of people we know. <laughs> yeah, this movie really uh, reminds me of one of the um, type of movie genre that, like, I call the American graffiti genre. That is like mm. the one night in the town that it ends. The the movie has no other plot. You know, there's loads of these movies that we know, like even new inclusions to the to that list mm, would be like something like Booksmart but then you have stuff like Superbad Fast Time in Richmond High uh, Dazed and Confused Dazed and Confused there's loads of these movies that are less it's one night in the town drinking and then whatever happens happens and the movies always end whenever the, the sun rises and mm. everybody's kind of kind of taking stock of what happened that night and usually like the best ones are the ones that the the events of the night itself are non-consequential but it actually changes you in a small way and it reflects how life is that way that if you have loads of dif these different nights over a period of a couple of years you become a different person than whenever you didn't go out you know mm -hmm. because in a way drinking or putting yourself in a position of having that many people together interacting with as many people kind of forces you to reevaluate to not reevaluate to but to evaluate the people you're talking to but also your points of view and who you are and what happens and also that opens uh, opens yourself to having actually experiences that you wouldn't otherwise have if you were just sitting at home. But yeah, like I, I think that like this movie is very good because it is able to reflect that feeling, like that mm -hmm. feeling that I used to feel at the end of a par house party because I couldn't go home because I couldn't afford a taxi home. And like there is a couple of people that are in the, in the bedroom sleeping and maybe doing something else because we were like early 20s, late teens. <laughs> like the sofas are taken because they were called for before the party. And I'm like in the kitchen by myself and I plug in like my headphones and listen to fucking Tom Waits while sitting in the kitchen floor and until the first bus will start. So it's like waiting for half six to come in. Let's say you're just streaming music, being like, and you put, try to put a, like the most emo music, but maybe like the most sad music to kind of reflect the melancholy that you already feel because the the night had so much hope before it began. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
it is such a I don't know it is a it is a weird feeling of that of the morning coming you know and you're like oh and the sort of deflation of it or something I don't know yeah and also it's like this weird like even if you haven't done drugs or got that drunk because the tiredness kicks in whenever the the energy boost that you get from being in the sesh yeah whenever that goes <gasps> the sesh the, that's the word yeah when the sesh is gone uh sesh is gone sesh is gone away she's gone, she's gone. i think that the one thing of this movie as well is the lack of food scares me like to drink that much without no they have they have snacks there's at, at certain points you see that there's like a cake and they've got like those little like crudite pattern uh, yeah but like you, like michael started drinking like in the morning he doesn't yeah. have like a like he has a moment i think that he uh he has like crisps and stuff that he takes out of, the, of a bag oh he has a sandwich yeah yeah you see a lot of like his sort of day-to-day routine as well which i quite like it was really fascinating just the way that like where he keeps his things and when he gets up in the morning he's like i have to tidy i have to tidy like it's his way of kind of giving back for them letting him stay there and stuff and yeah oh god watching him shave was like so scary to me because i was like he's doing it like so aggressively and it's just like oh god you're gonna cut yourself um the only other thing as well that really gave it away to me like i knew already but like (laughs) that it's not real is that you never see money ever at any point does anyone ever pay for anything like it's not even spoken of it's just just drinks keep going and i suppose you go oh maybe it's like the last night or whatever but like you just never see any money anywhere which is kind of funny it's like it's like this weird parallel universe well like in the i don't know like i know that in a lot of american small town bars they still have credit on the tabs so like uh like obviously it is weird like you say but everything is weird in america so it's true (laughs) i live near it (laughs) but i I do think that like uh when it came only to the 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 food i did like the like the shift change but i i wish that the 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 first barman was there for a little bit longer because he he's pretty fun as well he has a great uh interaction with everybody i do wonder if the guy that gets the that has to go to work was actually like a plant or did they give him that excuse to like you have to go to work because uh, he got too drunk and couldn't stay on set anymore yeah you, you do wonder like because there's a few of them that just disappear and then there's some of them well i think actually no, i think most of them you see leaving but like you know pam kind of has to be taken out as well and it's like at what point did someone just call it like the producers were like okay pam needs to leave now and then you just go to like michael and a few other people like okay we're gonna have to pam's gonna have to go like pam's fallen over um and then they just let it unfold as it does so yeah I'm, i'm curious like you know if maybe they tried to get him to move before and he was kind of like you know no 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 no, no, i'm fine and then they were like okay we need to just invent something that he can i kind of play off of um but i do i love that shot in the doorway whenever they've um uh they picked him up when they're trying to convince him to go home like you can't see him but you can just kind of see michael a little bit and then like the bartender's there as well and you know it's it's somehow even though like it's a little overexposed and you can't see everyone's faces it's still a really beautifully constructed shot in a way because it's like you feel the sort of like the push and pull between the people of like you know come on come on come on come on on." oh no 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 you know like that thing of when you're trying to like cajole somebody into doing something and they're just like you know at any moment they could like switch their brain and be like no i'm staying you know the mind of a drunk person oh god especially if they're being plied on free alcohol as well like jesus christ like um (laughs) yeah it is it is funny how I'm so curious as to where like craft services and stuff was. So like as you see these people kind of going out into the sunset or out into the night or whatever, and you know at some point they're gonna be brought to like you know to wherever the like you know uh, wherever the like production hub or whatever was like down the street or whatever you know like because according to like IMDb and stuff like you know once everyone had sort of left their character had left that they were brought and given food and taken home and all that kind of stuff um but yeah i'm just kind of curious it's like they go off into like you know 
towards the light and it's like at some point some like you know pa comes over and goes hi okay come on pam you know and has to like cajole them over well like uh, it is the, the the fear that i have whenever we're talking about like the ethics of the movie the well like most times imdb goes and shows everybody in the crew and this they, they don't even show all the actors there's a shitload of mm. producers in the movie but most of them are uh, listed down as uh, executive producers which have nothing to do with the actual making of the movie it's just financial shit probably yeah. in this case I'd say the three quarters of them would have come after the filming as well like it would be more for on behalf of distribution companies and stuff like that and two of them would be Bill Ross and Turner Ross who would be behind the camera there's yeah. only two other people listed as producers in the movie and then there's nothing else about, you know, there's like visual effects, but I don't know, probably that'd be like just to try to make it look like Vegas or something. I don't know from the outside because some of the like the two guys that one of the guys that have visual effects credits, he's done VFX for Godzilla versus Kong and Black Widow and the Batman and stuff like that. So it's very strange. <laughs> It's clearly just their mate that they like brought in. It's like, hey, yeah. What I mean is like how confident were they that they were creating a, a safe working environment? Yeah. How many people did they actually have there to like considering how big their cast is? And how many people did they have that are actually addicts that they're just fomenting their addiction? That's the, the bit the uh, I think that they there should be somewhere a description of how they made the movie after the movie ended, like a clarifier. Yeah, I I did wonder about that, like how it's all kind of fuzzed a bit in like the promotion of it, of in the film itself. It's never, tr never at any point do they fully reveal how they make it. In the, when you're actually watching it, even though like there there are clues and there are little bits and you know as you were saying about how it just feels a little bit too perfect and stuff, but at the same time like there's never a note at, at the start or at the end or anything or even that like when they have the 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 cast at the end, you know where obviously they're they're playing characters with their own names, but like you know they they could have had something there that would have made it really clear what they'd actually done, and I'm 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 kind of curious why they never did that. Considering I think that it was part of it would be like the marketability of it because it's th that gray area adds to the conversation on the film. Yeah, which I think it was good for the selling in the movie. And let's say if it is the case that they actually hired people that were like proper actors or trained or that didn't have drinking issues, they just wanted to be part of the experience and stuff like that, and they were just characters. That's fine with me, but. If any of them actually had, you know, it's different to just document what they'd be doing anyways. Like if it was, this was real life and they heard that this joint called the Roaring Twenties is closing down and they go and just spend the day there. It's still like the, the act of having the camera there is obviously going to change what the dynamics are in the night. Some people might be a little bit more aggro or more considerate or more peaceful the, the, the like as soon as you put the camera in an environment it completely changes the how people behave even if they're drunk how much of it like the fact and fiction part is interesting in it but it also kind of fogs up the ethics that we always talk about that's the because if it is just like they got people that have bad drinking habits and then just ploy them with alcohol it's kind of fucked in a way like yeah well like the way they cast it was by going around bars and finding characters basically so a lot of these are people who sit in bars all day so that constitutes certainly a drinking problem so you know even though like you're able to get full consent from these people obviously because you know they start off sober um and like, you know, they're like prepped and they know what's going to happen. And, you know, never at any point, I'm assuming that they, you know, they knew that they could leave if they wanted to or whatever. Um, 
it's complicated i think is how i feel about it well like if it is the case is that they got them from bars and stuff it is quite problematic because they're just fomenting the addiction like if you got a homeless person to be in your movie and also i bet that the uh financials of the contract were here you go you're getting paid 250 quid per day and free drink do you want to be in it okay that's fine and there's no so uh, no residuals afterwards i bet because they're playing themselves. Yeah, like we, obviously we, we don't know. And all, but even if like, it doesn't really matter how much they're paid though in a way because you're still paying, you're still like paying people to drink, basically. Well, like th- this is a kind <laughs> you know, of like, like the... it's, it's not great, really, you know? It's like, it's, 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 it's not as like as bad as it could be but in the same, it's, it's what's interesting is that it's kind of in the middle. So it's if they just gotten actors to do this, it probably wouldn't have felt as authentic, and it would have been ethically much better because obviously these are people who are a used to being in films, so they know how things work and have a full understanding of everything, um, and then also have like contracts and all this stuff and whatever. And all, well, at the same time, like you're not getting into Sundance if you don't have all that stuff that's the that's one thing well like you you do if you're doing it saying that it's a documentary because you don't have to if it's a documentary of everybody uh agree to be part of the documentary you don't have a back end it's not a union job no but like you still have like you have to have releases and all that kind of stuff you know what i mean yeah you get the releases or whatever but it's also like just because you got somebody's release doesn't mean that you didn't exploit them yeah yeah, it always feels gross getting people to sign releases. Even if you're doing something like totally Nick, whatever, you're just doing Vox Pops or whatever, it still feels weird. Because people always look a bit freaked when they have to do it. I'm like, you should feel freaked. <laughs> it is you weird have no that we're doing this. control of what's going to happen to do. But um, yeah, no, like it's complicated, this film, but it's also a little... <laughs> Yeah, if it was a full documentary, I would, I probably, like, without the the scene of Michael crying, I would say that it would have been, like, rather even-handedly, like, that the film dealt even-handedly with all its characters and quite ethically that they're not pressing the situation, etc. If it was all actors, obviously, as you said, the the sense of authenticity would probably be collapsed. But at the same time, the bit that it kind of annoys me of that is that they obviously could have gotten all actors because you just had to get actors that are as good as the guy that plays Michael. Yeah. Because he's as authentic as everybody else. Yeah. It's just that, like, he... But he's, he's also... That... He's also still clearly an alcoholic. So even though he's an actor... Is it still okay to put him in that situation? Probably not, no. Mm. Isn't that something that happens a lot? So this is probably like... Realistically? This is probably like the hipster version of bum fights. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Logan Eccles. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. It's, It's... it's fascinating how often we, you know, obviously documentary, we talk about the ethics of it and everything. It like... But at the same time, like the the horrible exploitation that goes into making like basically any type of media realistically it's just (laughs) obviously sort of getting better now i guess as we have like intimacy coordinators and all that kind of stuff but like but i uh, suppose as well is that whenever you have like a union job you have a recourse and i'm not saying that it is completely perfect because also there's a lot of faff that goes around in union jobs that yeah that people go by because it's like oh yeah it's a union job so this guy is only allowed to carry the the rails for the dolly and this other guy has to be hired to carry the dolly but we only need the dolly for like one shot can we get one person to do both things no this guy (laughs) is hired for this one thing it is like it does create like a huge amount of paperwork whatever but at least you have for most roles on set i think that there's quite a bit of recourse and also especially now the unions are actually enforcing the laws of the union that before me too happened there'll be a lot of yeah we're supposed to protect you but we won't 
But nowadays, the, I think that there is a certain degree that they will protect you, that they're way more afraid of being shown in a bad light than the effort of doing the work. Yeah, and you do have a lot more, like, you know, visibility for, for like, even, like, IATSE and stuff, like, when they had that big strike. Um, like, it sort of made its way into mainstream media. Like, people kind of heard about it, and, like, a lot of famous people were talking about it and stuff. Like, it was more sort of, like, front and center than it normally would be, where you kind of just have these people that are kind of shoved into the background and you never really talk about it. Um, and also that's of there there were obviously a few pretty big high profile things like you know fucking what's his name shooting somebody uh which is not necessarily a union thing but it's still like it put into a sharp focus how sets are run and how whenever like if you know if you don't hire someone who's a professional and what happens whenever you're dealing with like you know dangerous things and there's a reason why there's all these steps to health and safety and stuff um it's kind of weird. Like, I do think that the problem here more than anything is the lack of clarity from the filmmakers, especially even in like, even after interviews and like reading up about the movie and stuff like that, that I have n not even close to an idea if the movie was actually made in a kind of sustainable, ethical way when it came to the people that depicts. And it's yeah. literally the only problem I have with the movie because the structure of the movie and the, the idea of the movie is great. I don't know if you... like. There's a movie called Smoke. I don't know if you've ever seen it with uh, Harvey Keitel and William Hurt that is about oh, uh, no, a guy that not. has a cigar shop. And um, Harvey Keitel owns a cigar shop and he has this hobby that he takes a picture from the front door of the cigar shop every day and prints it. And he has like... So it shows the passage of time, like cars, people coming in and out, all these things. But also is that it's just the customers, the, it's just a hangout movie in that way. People are just discussing stuff. And it is very good and authentic or whatever, but because it's like Harvey Keitel and William Hurt, you know that it's not <laughs> real life, you know what I mean? It's not this movie. And that separation of not knowing, I think that it was the the right approach for this material hmm. and it works tremendously like uh, i had so many feels watching this uh, it was yeah. i had feels i didn't think i ha I, I remember i had but <laughs> you didn't know you had any left in the well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for like poignancy and sadness and like americana <laughs> It's also kind of weird because it's watching a movie going like, not feeling exactly nostalgia, but also the fact that my my experiences with that kind of evening, but also even with my drinking when it came to those days that I actually drank heavily, are based on my youth. And then overwhelmingly in this movie, the characters are on the other side of the halfway line of their lives, let's say. Yeah. Especially if they keep drinking uh, at this pace. And smoking, dear God. And not eating. <laughs> but it's kind of, whatchamacallit, it's kind of like you feel kind of nostalgic for those days as well. But also I felt like a tremendous melancholy for the fact that I could see myself in those shoes as well. I feel like life had played out just a little bit different yeah it it is kind of like i love what michael says about how he ruined his life before alcohol before he started drinking um or before he became an alcoholic oh yeah because he didn't <laughs> want to be a boring shy yeah. yeah he didn't well he didn't want to be a cliche basically so he's like oh no no i ruined my life and then i started drinking <laughs> i was like god he's like i'm 59 and i look 79 <laughs> Yeah, he does look very old. It's, uh, but I don't know, is he f actually in his 70s or is he actually 59? That's the bit mm. uh, now I don't know. You know, I don't trust anything. <laughs> I do love... Um, isn't it Michael Hink it says, like, I overslept one morning and the bottom fell out of manufacturing? Which <laughs> is such a good line. It's like, it says so much uh, with so little. Um, 
I do like that there's like that little bit in there about the generations as well and how like uh which is really well, I think it is actually I think it's Michael as well where he's like getting really annoyed at the young guy because he's like he's like oh you ruined everything your generation blah 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 and he's like my generation did but I didn't <laughs> you know it's like I've seen people make that point as well about how like people shitting on boomers and stuff and how at the same time like poverty among that section of the population is as high as it's and is only growing as well like particularly in like places like the UK and stuff um you know of how like that kind of <laughs> that sort of pigeonholing of the generational thing as well doesn't really help anybody in either direction you know um but yeah it was just I thought that fight felt no, very fuck realistic people. <laughs> it's only like fuck a very small percentage of the old people um but uh, yeah, so what was your favorite thing? Uh, Michael. I think the yeah. like from his costume design to uh, like to be honest, I also were was known to wear like those dark shirts with like <laughs> weird colored lines just across for some reason back in the day. <laughs> like if the nineties never end. It's good as well because I know that for a fact his is a performance. If it's calling from real life or not, it's a different thing. But it is a very, very good performance. And I think it anchors the film that any time that... Like I think I mentioned before, that any time that the movie kind of deviates or is losing momentum, it cuts back to the, the performance because it's easier to, to hang the pacing. And I think that it makes like a lot of sense to do that, you know. And I do like as a second part how... Uh, in the casting process, they got people that are very different one from each other. Not only uh, how they look like, but also what they say in their point of view. So they all seem like individuals rather than we just got a mm-hmm. bunch of drunks together. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I like the guy that looks like a fucking wizard. Like, he's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. The guy who never really seems to get drunk either. He seems to just be like on an even keel the whole night. Which is oh, yeah. Kind of he's a hardy man. What was your favorite thing? I, I, it's probably Michael as well, just because, as you say, he really does anchor it, and that guy just that guy could deliver a line like he like no one's business. And I'm assuming it's because I, I don't know if any of them. I'm assuming they weren't fed to him because it doesn't feel like that. And he just everything he says, he's very quippy. He's very funny. Like uh, even whenever he's talking to the Australian guy, I really like the Australian guy as well because he's so like. He never really moves except whenever, like, you know, he helps uh, whenever they have to help the guy out pretty early on, I think. He's there and he might help whenever Pam falls over, I think. Or is it Pam that falls over? I can't remember. Um, but other than that, he's just at the bar the whole time. He's like this sort of, like, anchor to the to the whole thing. This, this, like, little bag of the, like, sparklers and stuff behind the bar. I love that. That's such a, like, plant as well. It's so good. Um, great soundtrack as well. I read that they were going to... Uh, they're going to try and film it without any music because for to make the editing easier. But then everyone in the bar was like, what? <laughs> We're not sitting here drinking all night with no music. So the music coming from the, the, the jukebox is real, obviously. But also I'm like, how did you get releases for all this? There's also a bit whenever they're like showing all these album covers. And I remember uh, Edgar Wright talking about how in Shaun of the Dead, whenever they're like shooting or they're throwing the records at the zombies, that for every one they say you have to get a sign-off release from the person so the ones that they say and shoot are re- are really specific because of the ones that they could get like <laughs> the ones that they could get clearance for and that like there are certain ones that were really expensive just to have the album cover appear and stuff like that whole thing is such a minefield and i think the directors were like yeah we just other people organized that we don't know how that works <laughs> yeah we know it um, works because it showed up in sundance yeah well <laughs> um but uh yeah what was your uh least favorite thing i think it is like uh, the the gray areas it's not a, an issue itself with the movie but even for example a movie that we watched recently that like i know that you didn't particularly like it but in stories we tell that there's like uh recreations in the movie yeah and halfway through the movie it shows you that they're doing the recreations that is not real you know to a certain degree that i think that even if it was like in the in the credit scenes is like 
in the credits them casting them let's say or getting them to say their names and say like i'm playing myself in this movie or something like that yeah actually that would have been a really good way to get around that of like making it really clear but not like being really kind of happy with it yeah also because you don't want to like too much show how the sausage is made i just it's just a bit of like because i i never even though obviously we know about it because we read about it but I don't think that anything in a movie should be uh, uh, attained extra textual and the movie given mm. be given credit for it. Like it should be judged by what is on the screen for the duration th- from the moment that you press play to the moment that it stops. And I think that this movie doesn't do it. So, And if it does, I don't know. I didn't say through the credits enough that there might be like a note at the end for legal reasons or whatever the fuck. But... I don't think so. If it is, it wouldn't be clear enough to call attention to itself. Uh, I'm just covering my ass here in case uh, there is something saying there. But what was your least just favorite making, thing? Just making sure that we don't get sued. Um, fair use in all those clips I use. Uh, yeah, it's it's something similar, definitely. I mean... It does just make you feel like particularly even like there's scenes whenever um, what's her name like flashes and stuff. And, you know, it's like afterwards, did she feel bad about that or you know what I mean? Like I, I it's the fact that, as you said, we don't know anything about how these people felt afterwards or, you know, there's not even like a passing nod to it by the filmmakers either like you feel less of a collaborative sense of what like even whenever i was reading about um the truffle hunters you got more of an insight into how their relationship was with the guys and how you know like how they just kind of were following after these guys all the time because they were you know these really fit men in the feet and up in the hills and stuff um where you, you don't get any of that here and i feel like they're probably doing it on purpose to kind of just sort of you know, let the thing, you know, in a sort of a David Lynch way, just like, let the thing speak for itself. But because it's a documentary, sort of, it's like, mm, I just, I want more information because I'm like worried about them now, you know? And you should be worried about them because of what life has handed them, you know what I mean? As opposed to how this film treated them, I guess. So yeah. But it's, so yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, but uh, yeah, still a fucking fascinating, fascinating ex- like experiment or whatever. And it's always fun to find things like this that do something different and like don't make a big stupid gimmick out of it either that have a lot to show for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, would have been a lot worse if this had been a really shitty movie while also being sort of vaguely exploitative. <laughs> like, I do think that that's uh, something that... Ha- we have to be clear that the movie itself it, it really works so in a way makes it more difficult but even more important to talk about it because yeah. you know like if you're speaking about just criticizing because the movie is bad yeah it's easy to like go on that avenue but because but the movie itself is in, incredibly enjoyable to watch i think that but because i think that we spent a lot of time speaking about this gray area during this episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whenever like the movie like i don't want to i don't want to uh make people not want to watch this movie i want them yeah. to watch it and then think like enjoy it do everything but just think about it but i think that somehow like i know that the directors knew that what they were doing in that sense that this was the conversation most people have when finishing the movie as well because oh, yeah. it's the whole point of it in a way, a certain way. And keeping the mystery there keeps the conversation alive to a certain degree. But, yeah. Well, that was uh, Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. Go rent it on Google or wherever else you can find it. I think it's in a few other places as well. Um, but, yeah, well worth it. And, you know, it's not a, it's like an hour and 40 minutes of your life and you'll feel bittersweet. Yeah, so Ricardo, if they want to go and watch all our other movies about drinking, uh, where can they find us? 
on Twitter, uh, the recommendation game on sorry at the rec game, the Facebook, the recommendation game on uh, our Gmail is the recommendation game at gmail.com and you can find us on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday, 11 to 12. And we're in the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud in your podcaster of choice. Next week's film is Ricardo's pick. Ricardo. It is indeed. What are we picking? We're watching Le Havre. Ooh. Very exciting. Somehow i never seen that. Uh, yeah, so until then, I was Orla McNeilis. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>